Get your Bibles out to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. If you're new here today, we've been in a series called Matters of the Heart. And, uh, and the whole root of this, the whole foundation for this series is the admonition from the Lord to, above all else, guard our hearts, because if you lose your heart, you lose your life. I was talking to a man this morning who had been struggling with depression and discouragement and, and, um, uh, and even had thoughts, suicidal thoughts. Uh, and I said to him, you know, brother, you've lost your heart. If you lose your heart, you lose your life. You've lost your desire. You lost your passion. You lost your hope. How many of you know we got people all around us that are in that situation right now? Um, that's why the Lord says to us as believers, guard your heart, because out of your heart flow all the issues of life. If you lose your heart, you lose your life. And so we talked about guarding our hearts in seasons of scarcity. We talked about guarding our hearts in seasons of prosperity. And today I want to talk about something that I think we can all relate to, and that's how do we guard our hearts in seasons of envy? Have any of you ever been trapped with envy, jealousy, comparison, uh, to where you start looking around at the blessings of others and then you start getting a little jealous of other people's blessing? That's where the psalmist finds himself in Psalm 73. And I want to begin reading in, in verse 1, and we're going to work ourselves through this psalm today and hopefully glean some wisdom on how to protect our hearts in seasons of envy. The psalmist starts off with a great declaration here, and he's going to come full circle right back to it by the end after he goes down some, some, some uh, depressing paths. But he's going to start off well. He says, truly, God is good to Israel and to those whose hearts are pure. How many know the goodness of God is the foundation of guarding your heart? Every time you get attacked with a lie about the character of God, it is the devil assaulting the goodness of God. The goodness of God doesn't mean that he sets things up so that our lives go through no hardships or challenges. That's not what the goodness of God means. The goodness of God means is that his heart is always towards you to bless, to prosper, to favor you, to love you, to care for you, to protect you, to guide you, all those wonderful things God does. It is all summed up in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who could be against us? The fact that God is for us means that his goodness, his default is towards you, and he's on your side, he's for you. This is good news. So that whenever you're challenged with something in life, you need to, to default back to God is good, and he loves me. And he is a father to me. And all the promises then is start wanting to come out of your mouth and out of your heart. The goodness of God. He says, truly, God is good. And whenever I see in the Bible, God is good to Israel. Obviously, Israel was his covenant people. Uh, do I have any people here this morning that are in covenant with God? I am. How about you? So when I read, truly, God is good to Israel, it's very easy for me to jump over and put my name and put living stones and put God's church in the New Testament in this. Truly, God is good to his church and to his people, his covenant people through Christ and to those whose hearts are pure. Now, we're going to get to the purity of heart in a few weeks here, but how many of you know God values a pure heart? I just got to say this because our culture does not. God values purity of heart. It's really important to him. And we're going to highlight that in a few weeks. But notice he's good to Israel. He's good to his covenant people. And he's good to those whose hearts are pure. But look at verse 2. But as for me, he's making a contrast here. He's making a comparison. He's, he's saying, while well, God is good, as for me, he said, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. 
and I was almost gone. Now, have any of you ever been there? You hit a spot in life where you hit, you know, kind of like the black ice. I was, I was jogging down to church. I jog at a slow pace now, but I was trying to move my, this was years ago too, so I'm, I'm thinking back. But it was wintertime, there was snow on the ground, and underneath the snow, unbeknownst to me, was black ice. So I'm kind of hustling down to church. This was, either, I think it was on a Sunday morning even. And I hit that black ice. My feet shot out like somebody hit me with a baseball bat at the legs. And the next thing I know, my head was bouncing off the pavement. Now, how many of you know life can do that to you? You're not even expecting it. You get blindsided by spiritual black eyes. That's what he's describing. He's in that precarious situation where his feet are sliding everywhere and he's just trying to find something solid to stand on. But why, did he, why is he in this situation? Why, why is he slipping? Why is he losing his footing? Look at what it says next in verse 3. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. So what he's going to do now is he's going to say, I, I, there's five observations, and I want you to, to notice these with me, and if, you, if you've seen them before, you can let out a big amen, because I think this is pretty common to, to human experience. But here's, here's, here's why envy entices us. It's because we look around and we see wicked people prospering. Has anybody been ticked off ever that you read about people that seem to have a ton of money, and they're just, they're mean as snakes, they're wicked, they're perverted, they're investing all their money in wicked things, and, and you look around and you go, Lord, how come there's not more filthy rich Christian people? Some of you are looking at me way too serious. You know you had that thought. And some, and some of you have said, why not me? I'm a candidate for righteousness and I'm promoting truth. You know, when you look at the Forbes, you know, 500, right? the wealthiest people in America. Some of these people are scoundrels, man, and they invest in perverted, wicked causes, and they got bucks galore, more money than you could spend in a lifetime. And as anybody besides me not ask, Lord, how about saving one of those people? Because we can sure do it. I mean, I've had ideas. I would love to start a Christian university that's so full of the Holy Spirit and back to our roots and in the Word and transform Christian worldview. But I say, Lord, that would cost like... 100 million or something like that. How about we take over a, a platform like the social media has, but for righteousness? Let's do that. How many million? I mean, let me just tell you, I got dreams that are bigger than all of our pocketbooks combined, all right? And I asked the Lord, Lord, how come, you know, these folks, I won't mention names, but you know who they are. How come these folks are using all their money for stupid, perverted things? God, we've got some vision around here. We got, a, we got an expansion to pray for out here, Lord. We got some stuff we could really do if you would just send some of that mega cash our way. Or just save a few of these scoundrels and send them to church. And I'll teach them, I'll teach them how to tithe. Come on, hallelujah. I mean, I'm being honest with you all this morning. Have you ever had those thoughts as you go? I'm like, my goodness. What is the deal? All right, so here's the deal. He gives five observations about these folks. He says, first of all, they enjoy health and wealth. God, I see you prosper them despite their wickedness, and I don't like it. In fact, he says, I envied the proud. You all know what envy is. It's that feeling inside of our hearts of displeasure when we witness the advantage or the prosperity of others. Now, let me just quickly highlight. You don't have to just be envious of wicked folks. We could be envious of people sitting right next to us. 
God, if someone comes up and shares a testimony, praise the Lord, and, and you're still going through that battle, and you're like, how come, God, you did that for them? What about? You may know what I'm talking about. Or, oh, this, that person made that faith pledge, and then they got a promotion at work, and then you got fired. I mean, I'm just saying this because it's true. This happens. Now, the fact that you got fired doesn't mean God's not finished yet. Hallelujah. And that his goodness towards you has changed because God's probably setting you up for the next promotion, but he's just working with you differently than the person next to you. Everybody know what I'm talking about. In fact, I like this definition of envy. Envy is when you count someone else's blessings instead of your own. That's a good one. If I get more focused on how God's blessing Tracy or Tiffany, then my eyes get on them and I'm focused, I'm, I'm really tuning into your blessing. I'm completely overlooking my blessing. God is blessing every one of us in this room in our own unique way. And that's why he says, count your blessings, right? Name them one by one. Because uh, if we focus on counting the blessings of God in our own lives, we won't be trapped by being envious of other people's blessings. In fact, Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Please hear what I'm saying here in balance. I'm not saying everybody that's dealing with a debilitating physical illness is guilty of bitterness, but how many of you know many people in our hosp in hospital beds all across America whose bodies are being eaten away by disease, that disease was not fundamentally physical, it was spiritual, and it came from bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and jealousy and everything else that the Bible says if you let that stay in your heart, it will destroy your body. Now, I don't know how, does anybody like want a destroyed body? All right, anybody? Okay, good. Like we're talking like the Bible's practical. Like if I'm dealing with bitterness or resentment and I just heard that verse, I'm at the altar as soon as pastor says amen and I'm dealing with my heart because I don't want to rot. I don't want disease to overtake me because the Bible says if you live with that kind of stuff in your heart, you open the door for the enemy to bring in all kinds of devastation in your body. And so we don't want that. He said, I was envious because of the godless. Why would God allow them to prosper? They enjoy, number one, they seem to enjoy health and wealth. Look at verse four. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. Even when they die, they die in strength. And they live in pleasure and they die with ease. There's no painful, lingering illness. And how about this one? When calamity strikes the rich, the rich, or their riches rather, act like a buffer, easing the pain. So we don't see, at least on the outside, the agonies, the struggles, the things that the, the blessed, the rich go through. But how many of you know it's foolish to suggest that they don't have struggles just like you and I? We just don't see them because they're masked behind a lot of stuff. But they still go through things. In fact, here's another misnomer. Look at, look at number two, observation. They have no worries or problems. Verse five, they don't have trouble like other people. They're not plagued with the problems like everyone else. Can I just ask you, is that true about godless people? No, it is not true. But the appearance is 
seems to say, su suggest just the opposite. When you're going through the checkout line at the grocery store and you're looking at all the tabloid magazines and you're seeing who's on there and the latest, greatest, you know, per most beautiful, most wealthy, uh, you get the impression that those people have it made, that they don't go through hardship. They don't have any worries. They don't have any problems. In fact, this is another thing that, f that frustrates me about envy is when I'm in a spirit of envy, everybody else's blessings look bigger and larger and fuller than my own. But how I many know envy has a way of inflating things and blowing things out of proportion? Look at the next one, number three. They are proud and they are cruel. The Bible says in verse eight, or verse six, I'm sorry, they wear pride like a jeweled necklace and they clothe themselves with cruelty. Can I just say this? We're living in a cancel culture today where wicked people are in many places in America are ruling. And, uh, and when you go against the status quo or you go against uh, uh, upsetting the apple cart, these folks are out to destroy you. How many of you know that we just saw a situation for years now? We had a 70-some-year-old baker uh, out in a western state who was dragged through court on numerous occasions simply because she's a Christian and she did not want to bake cakes celebrating something that she believed was a sin. It wasn't just a matter of toleration. It wasn't just a matter of going down the street to the next baker. It was about, we're going to destroy you and your livelihood and your savings and your business and your family. This is the way wicked people operate. We have a current vice president of the United States who used her power as secretary, I believe it was secretary of state of the state of California to absolutely go after and destroy an undercover reporter who was pro-life, who was sitting in with Planned Parenthood executives who were talking about selling baby parts so that they could buy Lamborghinis. And all this was exposed uh, on video. And you know that our current vice president of the United States went after the man who exposed this wickedness and is seeking at this very moment to destroy this man. Now, I'm just telling you, when I see stuff like that, it makes me mad. It makes me angry that this is going on. I'm sick and tired of the double standard. I mean, you know, there's an elite class now in America, a ruling class, and they don't abide by the same rules that the rest of us morons are supposed to abide by. It makes me angry. And sometimes I say, Lord, how in the world, how in the world did these people get into the most powerful seats in our nation, in the most powerful nation on planet Earth? This is not right. Am I talking to the right crowd here today? And I'll tell you what else isn't right. They got lots of money, and that's not right either. I mean, this is, this is what's going off inside of my spirit. And what I'm trying to share with you is it's gone off inside of you. And here's the other thing. It's gone off inside of God's people since they've been on planet Earth. This is not an unusual issue that we're dealing with or a unique issue that we're dealing with. This has been going on for a long time. So they're proud. They're cruel. Look at the verse 7. These fat cats. I love that. These fat cats have everything their hearts would ever wish for. So you say, Pastor, why are you preaching from the New Living Translation? Right there is why I'm preaching from the New Living Translation. All right? Everybody understands what a fat cat is, right? That's the goal, all right? These fat cats have everything. Everything their hearts could wish for. And on top of it all, look at observation number five. These people are just flat-out arrogant toward God. I saw one of our leading senators on some big fancy committee that recently said when somebody brought up 
the word and brought up the gospel in the courts of Congress. He said, excuse me, but your beliefs about God have no place in this, in this place, uh, in this gathering. Now, how many know that is just flat out arrogance? To thumb your nose at God Almighty at the highest places of leadership and to basically say God is not welcome here. But look what the psalmist points out. Verse 8. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all of their words. Look at verse 11. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? I mean, how arrogant can you get to suggest that God Almighty, who is omniscient, is somehow missing out on some details or isn't paying attention or isn't in the know or isn't woke or whatever else we want him to be? What does God know? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. It's not fair. And I just want us to pause right here and all of us to experience the common feeling of injustice and this is not fair that that wicked people are prospering when we're struggling sometimes. Are we all on the same page? Thank God for the Bible. Thank God it was written by the Holy Ghost so it tells the truth about our heart condition because that's something we've all dealt with. Now let's look at the sting of envy. The sting of envy. This is why envy hurts so much because sometimes the righteous suffer and righteous people struggle. Do I, am I talking to the right crowd this morning? Have any of you ever suffered, and have any of you ever suffered for righteousness' sake? Some, it's bad enough to suffer, but it's really bad when you suffer for standing up for truth. That hurts, and go through struggles. And so two things happen, and maybe some of you can relate to this. When you feel the sting of envy, two things happen. Look at number one. Does the struggle for purity really matter? Verse 13, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I've seen people, they lose their heart. They're trying to do things the right way. They're trying to honor God. They look around, and Hollywood does a really good job about lying about things that are really important. Hollywood basically says, you can express yourself sexually with anyone, anywhere, any way you want, and pay no consequences for it. In fact, it is the, it is the pathway to liberation and redemption, all right? We just did a podcast, by the way, on that. I hope you guys watched it and enjoyed it. That's the message of today. You actually find redemption through sexual uh, promiscuity and perversion. I want to ask all of our singles in the crowd today, does your purity matter to God? I mean, Really? Does it matter to God? I mean, you can look at folks in Hollywood strutting around, living all kinds of perverse lifestyles. They got money, they got fame, they, got, they seem to have it made, and yet you're here trying to trust the Lord, trying to keep your body as a, as a gift for your spouse someday. How many of you believe that God really is smart about sexuality? And if we express ourselves the way the Bible says, it doesn't lead to less pleasure. It actually leads to greater pleasure. It doesn't lead to worse relationships. It actually leads to better relationships. It actually leads to a better family dynamic. It actually is an incredible blessing. But who thinks about that when envy's in your heart and you're looking around and you're going, oh, everybody's doing this. Does my purity really matter? Or how about I'm looking out at some business people out there? You know, Does integrity in the marketplace really cause one to get ahead? Or does it cause one to get behind? 
Well, I think we all believe that honoring God would cause one to get ahead, but how many of you know in the short run, sometimes you get your heart tested by people's lack of integrity. I had a, I had a businessman here that ran an excavation company, and he said this kind of stuff happens all the time uh, in his arena. They'll go out, they'll do a job, say, for half a million dollar excavation job. When it comes time to pay, the person writes him a check for $250,000 and says, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to settle for half. I said, what do you mean settle for half? We agreed to $500,000, and here's what the big dogs do, the fat cats do. Take me to court. Because you know what's going to happen when you go to court? It's going to take longer, you're going to spend more, and the person with the deeper pocket wins. So take the 250 and go your way, or take us to court. How many of you know that angers me, and it should anger you? Because this man on the short run, that situation drove him out of business. He had to file for bankruptcy. Listen to me. That is wicked, and that is wrong. But that's the, that's the behavior of fat cats. And so you're asking, what does my integrity matter? Does purity matter? Nobody cares about purity anymore. Nobody cares about living a holy life anymore. Does it matter? God, why does it matter? I'm looking at, at how you seem to be blessing all these people who could care less about you. In fact, they're living directly opposite of the way you call us to live. That's the sting of envy. But let's look at the evaporation of envy. I'm using, I'm being very pastoral here with all these E's. I hope you guys like it, all right? Envy's evaporation here because of the eternal perspective and because of the presence of God. Look at verses 15 and 16. If I had really spoken this way to others, as I was just speaking to you, I would have been a traitor to your people. This is important. How many of you realize that your words are powerful, especially in the midst of the congregation? And the worst thing I could do is stand up. I'm communicating the heart of the psalmist here, but it's not my heart, all right? And it's not where he ended up either. Like everything I just said to you, I don't believe, but I feel. That makes sense? In other words, I'm not standing here today and say, what does your purity matter? Forget how you live. Just go out and chase, chase the fat cats and try to be like them and get as much as you can and, and try to, try, try to you know, cover yourself with so much excess and so much in your bank account that you can bear the impact of whatever comes our way. How I mean, you know that is a lie from the pit of hell, and I don't believe that. But listen, don't become a traitor in the midst of God's people. What does that mean? It means you speak out sometimes the frustration in your heart. And I'm just telling you, when you're frustrated, the best thing you can do, please hear me now, I'm speaking in, in, uh, in the paraphrase version, shut up. This, I, I mean, this is important. Words pondered in the heart are not as deadly as words that fall out of your mouth. And when you're struggling to find your footing, like we said, remember, he's slipping around trying to find his footing, the best thing you can do is be quiet. And if you fall, slide off the ice and try to recoup yourself, gather yourself, but don't open your mouth and become a traitor in the midst of God's people. Because listen, when somebody's down and somebody's out and they start venting all of that, Remember the children of Israel, and they're trying to inherit the promises. So they came back, the ten spies. Oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe it. Those people are so big. We can't fight them. They're going to destroy us. We're like grasshoppers. All that traitor voice came out of their mouth, out of their heart, and it filled the camp with fear. 
So we have to think correctly, and if you're struggling right now, the best thing you can do is ponder these things in your heart until you have the truth of God that sets you free. If I had really spoken this way, he says to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. There are, there are issues that people have wrestled with from the beginning of time. This is one of them. I'm trying to be a good person. Bad thing happened to me. This person over here could care less. Good thing happened to them. Lord, I, how do we sort this out? Here's, here's what I've come to the conclusion on, all right? I just want to worship my way through life. There are some things that are way above my head. There have been greater minds that have wrestled with these issues than this mind right here. So I'm not going to join in and get all lost in the big philosophical questions of life. I'm going to let the word of the Lord feed me. I'm going to let thus saith the Lord feed me, not hath God said, like, like the serpent tempted Eve, but I'm going to let the word of the Lord feed me, and I'm going, to, I'm going to, if God said it, that's what I'm going to settle on, and I'm going to worship my way through life, because this is a difficult task, the psalmist says here, to try to figure these things out. Look at verse 17. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Now, this is why it is so important to start your week off First day, Sunday of the new week, doing what you're doing right now. Because I don't want to go through my week with losing my heart and having my brain all tangled up with envy. I want to start my week off in the sanctuary. What happens in the sanctuary? Who's your focus on in the sanctuary? It's on the Lord. What are you hearing in the sanctuary? The word of the Lord. What's happening in the sanctuary? Like I had this morning, I'm hugging people. I'm getting encouragement from people. I'm having people speak life to me. I'm speaking life to other people. It's happening in the sanctuary. Can I just tell you, when you stop coming to worship the Lord and bringing the Lord your worship, that's when you lose your heart. This is not a, a religious event. This is heart care. This is like running on the treadmill and eating broccoli, all right? I mean, we do that stuff because we care about our heart. This is like running on the treadmill and eating broccoli every Sunday morning, first day of the week. Why do we do this? It's heart care. Because if I lose you and I lose him, I lose it all. And so he says, man, I'm thinking crazy. My feet are slipping. I don't know what's going on. I'm angry. God, how come they're prospering? I thought that way until I came to church. And it's amazing when you get in the presence of the Lord, how the fog lifts and how you begin to see things with greater clarity and how the craziness in your mind begins to be corrected by the truth of God's word. Can I just say this? He said, when I get into the church, all right, I'm, I'm making it our time. I get into church, I understand the destiny or the end of the wicked. In other words, all the smoke and mirrors gets blown away. I realize where they're going. I realize the future for wicked people. And I go, man, what am I thinking? You know, come to your senses, Ron. What is the deal? You remember life is but a vapor and there's something coming called eternity. And I begin to think about their end. Now, now let me just say this. When I'm envious of you and what God's doing in your life, I deny my uniqueness and the destiny of God on my life. Because 
I'm not you and you're not me, and I'm unique and so are you. There's only one of you and only one of me. I cannot compare myself to you or compare God's dealings with you to me because I'm not you. I'm me, and God's destiny over my life is unique, which means he's doing things differently, but he's still the same good God, and his promises are still true to all of us, but we're not cookie cutters. And so one man's season of blessing might be another woman's season of despair. That doesn't mean God has quit on the woman who's in despair. It means God's doing something in this season that's bringing her into a place of blessing and enlargement. And the guy that's living right now in incredible blessing and prosperity might be coming into a season of leanness just to guard his heart and to make sure he's not made an idol out of the blessings of God. God's dealing with all of us absolutely uniquely individually like a daddy because the destiny over your life is special and it's not like anybody else's. It's another reason why we can't get our eyes looking around and getting off track. God's presence brings revelation. Point number three, eternal perspective brings clarity. Look at verses 18 and 19. Truly, you put them, talking about the wicked, on a slippery path and you send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors, And when you arise, O Lord, you're going to laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. This is very important. Don't be jealous of the wicked because the Bible says they look secure, but they're on a slippery path. When I'm walking down to church that morning, everything looked great. Crunch, 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 the snow under my feet. But when I hit that black ice... It was like I went upside down, body slammed in about a millisecond. The Bible says that is what the wicked are like. That, you, you look at them and you say, wow, they're so secure. They got all this wealth, this big portfolio, fame, status, power, whatever. And God says, no, they're walking on black ice. And in a moment's time, they're down. In a moment's time, destruction. In a moment's time, reversal. How many of you know there have been people who have been power brokers in Washington, D.C., then in one election, one unlikely election, they became, uh, you know, uh, somebody whose name you don't even remember now. And they were, they were the power brokers. They're gone. Sometimes wealth disappears in an instant in our culture today and all throughout history. God says, don't be envious of wicked people. They're on slippery ground. And their, their dreams, all their plans, he says, are like a person waking up in the morning and laughing at the crazy pizza dream that I had the night before. He goes, that's what their plans are like. Listen to what Job said, Job chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. Don't you realize that from the beginning of time, ever since people were first placed on earth, the triumph of the wicked has been short-lived and the joy of the, God, of the godless has been temporary. Their triumphs are short-lived, and their joy is even shorter. Our triumph is eternal, and our joy is equally eternal. These are the things you remind yourself of when you're comparing yourself to the wicked. Look at Proverbs 24, verses 19 and 20. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't envy the wicked. For evil people, listen to this, evil people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. Can I just say that again? Evil people have no future. This should hit us like a ton of bricks. Because again, it's all smoke and mirrors, and you think, man, they're so set up. The the Lord says evil people have zero zip, nothing in the future, no future whatsoever. That should put the fear of God in us. So how do we guard our heart? Let me close with this. How do we guard our heart from envy? 
Basically, he says, why was I acting this way? Why was I fretting because of evildoers? Why was I jealous of their prosperity? And then we get to verse 21. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up on the inside. I got to drive this home again, folks. I share with you at the start of this series, our, our, our issues are always our heart. They're not primarily emotions. Emotions come from our heart. They're not primarily behavioral issues. Behavioral issues come from our hearts. He said, the reason I'm acting this way is because my heart is bitter. And if you don't deal with the bitterness and you don't go back and figure out where that bitterness crept into your heart, it will lead to all kinds of crazy thoughts and crazy behaviors. He said, I, I was torn up on the inside. Sometimes in our churches today, we do not take time going back and getting healed because we misinterpret what the Bible says about being new creations in Christ. The old is gone, here's the new. We think that refers to instantaneous healing once we give ask Christ into our life. How many of you know that's not the case? Jesus Christ comes in and he renews our spirits. Our spirits are made to be able to relate to him. We're born again. Our hearts, he gives us a new heart that's tender and responsive. But how many know all those old emotions, those old ways of thinking, all of our wounds from the past, our hurts, our pains, all of the injustice done to us, the trauma from the past, all of that needs to be addressed or you keep walking around bitter on the inside. You come to church on Sunday, but you're bitter on the inside and you're mad at life, you're mad at God, you're mad at people and you're wondering, where is the Lord is because you never took the time to deal with your heart. Amen. This is not some psycho babble, warm, fuzzy, you know. This is the truth of the Bible. You got a heart that hurts, you got a heart that beats, you got a heart that feels, and you got to make sure you guard it because because every arrow from the enemy is out there to attack you and to wound you and to hurt you. It's why we struggle in our marriages. It's why we struggle in our relationships. It's not enough just to pray the prayer and come to church. Do the heart work. When you're thinking all these things and you're mad and you're, you're frustrated, pause because the Holy Spirit's saying, guard your heart. Because out of your heart come all the issues of life. He said, I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed to you, God, like a senseless animal. Have any of you ever been there? I've been there where I felt like I, in my mind, it was like a dog chasing its tail. I went from one frustration thing to the next. And any of you that have raised kids, and if you've got a big house full of kids, and you've got eight kids, then it means eight opportunities for frustration all in the same moment. <laughs> you, you just go from one, ah, 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 and by the time I get to child number eight, you know, I'm sorry for them, all right? But, but in my mind, in my mind, there's this, cascade of frustration, anger, emotion. And I'm like a senseless animal because, you know, when my wife would, would mercifully come along and say, honey. <laughs> honey. Then all of a sudden I come into my senses and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I thinking this way? That sounded like a small kitten, didn't it? Like, Wee! Good job, Tom. Guys are doing good. All right. Here's how you come to your senses. Let me hit this real quick. Number one, look at verse 23. Yet I still belong to you, Lord, and you are holding my right hand. How many of you know? No matter the frustrations we go through in life, God is still there with us. He loves us. And I love it when he says he's holding my hand because that reminds me of a, of a father. 
coming alongside of us. He's saying, hey, it's going to be all right. I got you. I got you. I got you. So there's belonging with the Lord. God is loving me. Look at verse 24. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Oh, man, this is so good. So you're frustrated. You're like, God, I don't know what to do. Lord, we, we seem to be having lack here. God, we got bills here. Lord, what do I do? Well, God's holding your hand. He's not left you. He's going to give you the wisdom to know what to do if you'll seek him. And here's what I want to ask you all. Do you really believe that you have a glorious destiny? I mean, we need to personalize this. I mean, we all say, hey, praise the Lord. No, I'm asking you personally. Do you believe right now God's leading you to a glorious destiny? In fact, he's holding your hand because he loves you and you belong to him. And he's taking you somewhere that is a glorious destiny. I mean, this is an incredible invitation to walk with God and to not get tangled with everything going on around me. So God's loving me, God's leading me, and look at the third point here. God's strength is sustaining me now and forever. Look at verse 25. We all know this verse. What an amazing passage. Whom have I in heaven but you? And I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit might grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart, and he is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. You know what our goal should be on Sunday morning when we come to worship? To make sure that we are fully satisfied in Christ. Not what's going on around us, not what we have or what we don't have. But you know what? It, can I say like the psalmist did, the Lord, who, am I, who, who have I in heaven, Lord, but you? And what do I have on the earth besides you? My heart might fail, my strength might fail, my flesh might fail, but God, you are the strength of my life. You're the strength of my heart forever. At the end of the day, here's why we fall into envy, because Jesus isn't enough. If we're in lust, if there's got to be something more we're grasping for, well, well, what's really happening is Jesus isn't enough. And can I just say, we all struggle with this. This, is, this isn't something that everybody masters. I mean, you're going to go through your life struggling with this very issue right here. Is Jesus enough for you now? Or do you need something else? I had to tell people, yeah, you know, you know, Pastor, you know, I just, I just smoke weed because it helps me unwind. I just, I just have a couple, you know, glasses of wine because it just helps me unwind. Okay, so you need Jesus and weed, or you need Jesus and alcohol. You need Jesus and Just, it just, I just need, just helps me unwind. I thought Jesus helps you unwind. Like I think He helps us unwind, doesn't He? Doesn't He bring us peace and all kinds of? So, so why do we need to glorify all these other things? Because it just helps me unwind. Well, it sounds to me like we got an idol there because Jesus should be sufficient. Right now, we're pushing for legalization of weed in Indiana, so we can be like Illinois and all the other progressive states. Because weed is so good, and I've got Christians that tell me, you know, it's a, it's, it's a plant. God made it. When I hear that come out of your mouth, you've been smoking weed way too long.
That wasn't in my notes, but it was good. I, I admit that was good. That was good. Whom have I in heaven but you, and I desire you more than anything on earth. Can, can we just pause that? When we can say that and mean that, I desire Jesus more than anything on earth. What a profound statement. What a powerful statement. What a heart-guarding statement. Because every bit of envy means there's something I'm trying to add to Jesus to make me happy because I'm not happy now. Can I just tell you that's the lie from the pit of hell, that, that something else is going to make you happy that Jesus somehow cannot. I mean, our restless hearts are an invitation to press into the presence of Jesus and say, Lord, why is it that I'm not satisfied? I know there must be more. Hear me, some of you, your current dissatisfaction is an invitation from Jesus to find more, not an opportunity for you to reject God and go embrace idols. The real issue is, are you going to pursue him or are you going to reject him and go after all these other things, the smoke and mirrors that the world tells us will make you happy? Or if, is God true and let every man be a liar? You know, I, I don't want my lack of satisfaction in the Lord to somehow justify that Jesus isn't satisfying. I want to deal with the wickedness that's still in my heart. Amen? I want to press into him. So stand to your feet with me this morning. I want our ministry team to come on up here. If you're tangled up this morning in any way, shape, or form, you feel, you feel like you're on slippery ice, please come and let's love on you and pray for you and encounter the Lord this morning. If you're dealing with envy during this holiday season, let's get our eyes off the stuff and get our eyes back on the unique loving care of God over your life right now. So Father, we just repent of envy and jealousy and all the things that come with it, strife and anger and injustice and everything else we wrestle with and we're so frustrated with. Lord, we, we lay our frustrations on your, on your lap, at your feet. We ask you, Lord, to heal our hearts. Untangle us, Lord. Drive the bitterness out of our hearts. Help us to think godly thoughts and help us to live godly lives. And I just want to say, church, your purity matters. Your integrity matters to God. Your life matters to God. The fear of the Lord is valuable to the Lord himself. And you have an incredible destiny. So don't let the, the lies of the world get your eyes off the blessings of your Father. Father, overwhelm us this season with your goodness and your kindness. And Lord, may our hearts be full and satisfied with you both now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Hallelujah. Let's honor him. We bless you, Lord.